Hi, welcome to the Penis Project podcast. This is the place to come to find out everything you've always wanted to know about men's health but were too embarrassed to ask. Join physiotherapist Dr. Joe Milios and sexologist nurse practitioner Melissa Hadley-Barrett as they talk to real men and the experts about men's private parts. Have a burning question you really want to know the answer to? Please subscribe to our website at thepenisproject.org and just ask us. The length, while the greater the strength, the more time I've got for you. There's too much talking, texting, tweeting, posting. Too much noise altogether. In silence is strength and peace and space. Imagine silence forever. The Penis Project podcast is proudly supported and sponsored by PROST, Exercise for Prostate Cancer, and the RS Health Penile Rehabilitation Program. PROST is a not-for-profit charity set up by myself in 2012 that aims to help men exercise during their experience with prostate cancer. If you want to know anything more about PROST, including our online service and USB product now available, please just go to prost.com.au. Hi, I'm Melissa Hadley-Barrett and I designed the Penile Rehabilitation Program to help men recover from prostate cancer. It's an online program built on decades worth of knowledge and experience and practice. It's the only one of its kind in the world and it actually works. So if you've been diagnosed with prostate cancer and want to get your penis working again as quickly as possible, and why wouldn't you, then visit penilerehabilitationprogram.com and you'll be off and running. And it only takes about 15 minutes a day. All the best with your recovery, which I promise will never be as bad as you think. November 11, 11am, 60 seconds, kids watch on the wall. In the pub, in the tab, in the cars. Welcome to the Penis Project podcast. Today we have all the way from South Africa, Australia, Brisbane, Pierre Rocher, who I had the uh, privilege to meet way back in 2017 in South Africa. We also have Melissa with us too. So Pierre, could you give us a little bit of a background as to what you were doing at that WCPT conference in 2017? Perfect. Um, yeah, thank you can for we, inviting me. Can we just tell me what WCP Oh, the is. World Confederation of Physiotherapy. Okay, cool. go for it. Yep. The World cut. Physiotherapy Conference. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, thank you for uh, inviting me on the on the podcast um yeah so wcpt was was a it's my like big aha moment if i can pin it down to like a defining moment so so i was actually there um for um basically on a committee role as part of my IFOMP involvement, which for those of you who don't know, it's the musculoskeletal guys. And, and at that stage, I was representing South Africa. And so I was there, for, uh, I was there as an IFOMP delegate uh, and I had just started doing a little bit of men's health. So I was really interested to see that there was some content uh, on men's health, pelvic health. And yeah, it was in Cape Town. So it was really easy for me at, at that stage. My my mom was living in Cape Town. So I was like, I'm going to do this trip and I'm going to really try and absorb as much as I can from the conference. So I I remember that exact session. Um, I remember, you know, the room. I rem- remember what happened. And I sat there and, and I just had this buzz aha moment and was like, this is, this is, this is it. This is it. At that stage, I had finished my master's and I was 
curious and I was keen to get going and, you know, to do something meaningful in terms of a PhD. I had been doing a little bit of men's health, but um, there was no no official training of any sort at that stage. There was no, uh, there was, there was really a very limited way of, of getting information. So I listened to, to you, Joe, and I uh, felt the passion. And um, yeah, I was inspired. I think that was, that was my big inspirational moment. And um, it got me thinking. And yeah, after that, we spoke over email a little bit and that that's where it all started. So yeah, 2017, my big, my big aha moment, the where it all started. Yeah. And it, it was just, it was just, this is something that related to me. And at that stage, you know, I was, I was thinking, Oh, I wanted to really do something. It's meaningful. My grandfather had prostate cancer. He had radiation. Um, but there was a big secrecy thing about it. Nobody in the family knew about it. He eventually um, passed on due to complications of, of you know, being radiated essentially. Okay. Yeah. So, um, but there was this massive shame and secrecy involved with that. And um, yeah, it, it was, it was the starting point. And I, I knew that that was the direction I was going to go in in terms of my research and where I wanted to shift my clinical practice as a physiotherapist to. So yeah, that was 2017. That's wonderful. And that, that was so inspiring for me to, to know that you were inspired from that presentation. So it was called a focus symposium and we called it a new frontier in physiotherapy and that being men's health. So this 2023 it's only just not even quite six years ago yeah so at the time you said in your clinic you were seeing a few men yeah how did things shape up after that what did you what did you next do because there's a lot of physios that listen to our podcast and you know it, it's it's an opportunity for many other mm. physios to embark on this career pathway yeah so at that stage the the basically it you had to be covered from an insurance point of view. So I actually had to do women's health physiotherapy courses to get accredited or my, okay. my you know, to be legal in terms of working in that area. Um, so I had done some of the women's health courses that, that um, at that stage, that was the only thing that was required by um, our insurers, the, the uh, physiotherapy professions insurers. So um it was interesting because I I had not done any internal training at that point. And clearly you you realize this, this this big gap. Okay, well, you don't need to go into the pelvis, but sometimes sometimes it would be really nice to be able to understand and to go into the pelvis. So so I was doing a lot of pain work, a lot of um, you know, uh, deep gluteal pain stuff, all of that kind of stuff. And having a having a musculoskeletal background and, and of course, you know, patients, you know, patients. They 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 follow you. You don't, you don't know how, but they find you. And and you know, next thing, you're starting to build up a little bit of a caseload. And and um, you know, uh, at that stage in the area that I was working in, um, they weren't doing any radical prostatectomies in in the province or the state. So 
uh, th- that's KwaZulu-Natal. They were known for brachytherapy. Okay. Yep. And so that's most patients were yep. brachytherapy patients. And of course, most of them, you know, had their brachytherapy three, four years ago. So they would come in um, with these weird, strange musculoskeletal, um, you know, presentations. And then you start putting two and two together. And every now and then you would get someone who who actually, you know, would have traveled to Cape Town or to Johannesburg to actually get a prostatectomy. So we did get those, but the majority of the work was definitely brachytherapy, uh, radiation patients. So, yeah, so apart from the basics, you, um, you know, the, the women's health courses, you start reading articles and you start following people. Um, and to me, it was the logical next step was to do research in the area. Like what a better way to just immerse yourself into the information, you know? Um, so that was the next step. Um, and then I, in the absence of any sort of course or, you know, any sort of masters or anything at that stage, you know, you're sitting in South Africa and you're thinking, okay, what do I do? I, I, I could travel to Europe, pay a lot of money and do a course there or I could try something else and at that stage I connected with one of the physiotherapists in in Cape Town who is probably the leading expert in South Africa in terms of prostatectomy physiotherapy or rehabilitation Helen Shaw and Helen Helen Shaw is my um is one of my other heroes just because of her unique approach to handling men and you know just giving them straight up information so I approached Helen and I said Helen what would it take for you to come and train train me um and anyway we we chatted a little bit and eventually Helen agreed and and Helen kind of like became that other person to to help me with some of the basics and and really opened you know my skill set set up to helping more and more men, especially with regards to sexual dysfunction. So, and of course, then at at that stage, so so a lot of these things happen at the same time. And of course, uh, Joe, I emailed you with a very, very specific request. And I said, I I love what you're doing. Loved seeing you. Um, I would love to do a PhD. But here's the thing, it's no money, uh, so I don't have any money for any fancy things. So um, I need an idea, but nothing fancy, nothing nothing expensive, something that I could do, that I could finish, um, but something that would be really meaningful. And you came back with the my topic, which was the neglected sexual side effects. Bravo. <laughs> yeah well absolutely so, oh, well I made the suggestion but you know you didn't yeah, have to take it on so yeah I mean I mean at that stage you know you you see you see these things in isolation and you say oh you know there's two or three together or there's one together and until you have this aha moment well there's actually a cluster of them and you could look at them together so it it fit all the boxes and I could do it and there was not a lot of research out you know on the neglected sexual side effects so perfect phd topic and that's where the the phd started so and then of course you know because there's only a handful of people doing it um especially in south africa at that stage you know like i said people start 
you know, being drawn to you like a magnet because you, you're just doing a little bit of work in that area and everybody gets to, you know, know about your work and, and, and you just start building up numbers and it's, it's, you know, the more, the more patience you see, the more you learn. And, and, you know, I've listened to you say before, you know, patients have given you everything and it's so true, you know, everything, everything that's out there in, in, you know, in the literature, it's in there with the patients. They're just, they're just not necessarily saying it to you. So, um, you know, it's the information's out there. It's to, it's to get it from these yeah, patients, yeah. which is the other part. Can I ask, so what were the, so that was your PhD topic, but just for the lay people listening, what were the things, what was your, what did you want to find out like in your PhD? Yeah. Okay. So the, the, the first thing is, I would say, you know, what are the neglected sexual side effects? So, so, um, just for the, for the listeners who don't know, you, you, you expect to have, um, two main side effects after a prostatectomy or radiation. So the, the biggest one that a lot of people worry about, especially in the beginning is of course, urinary incontinence, which is probably, you know, the, the, the one that is easiest because, you know, it's easy, easier to do. Um, it's a little bit more mainstream, a little bit more acceptable, less shame attached to it. Um, there's of course the sexual dysfunction side, which, excuse me, people are always confused about because pe- people all know about erectile dysfunction, but what is sexual dysfunction? So mine was, my research area was really on the sexual dysfunction. And then it's a quote, of course, there's a little bit of pain in some patients. So, so mine was specifically on this sexual dysfunction. So my hypothesis was what I was seeing in, in the clinic is a lot of shame, a lot of sexual dysfunction, and a lot of, um, a lot, a lot of issues related to the sexual dysfunction. So I guess what I wanted to find out was what is the impact of sexual dysfunction? And to understand the impact, you have to understand how to assess it. And I think that was the big thing. So the first thing was, what are the sexual dysfunction, the neglected sexual, sexual dysfunction? I'm just going to grab a bit of water. So there's, there's a, I'll explain the, the neglected sexual dysfunction, uh, neglected sexual side effects. So clearly neglected, as in nobody wants to talk about it. Shame, nobody knows about it. So the first one is um, orgasm-associated uh, incontinence. The second one is climacteria, which is uh, um, incontinence so, um, during an orgasm. Then there's the orgasm ones, which is the dysorgasmia and anorgasmia, so um, pain with an orgasm. And the second one is delayed orgasm or difficulty in reaching an orgasm. Um, then there's the, the, the penile aesthetics one, so penile link shortening and uh, Pyrenees disease or penile curvature changes. Um, and then the last one is anejaculation, which is, of course, a consequence of a prostatectomy, as in you, you no longer will be able to um, ejaculate. But of course, with the issue with that is not all patients are informed of that, strangely enough. So, which is which should be standard practice, but it's not the case. And then, of course, in your radiation patients, you, you know you 
you you want to see what the effect is of that. So those are the weird and wonderful. <clears throat> nobody's going to talk about that. It's not mainstream. Very little information about that. And certainly the GPs and the urologists don't know about it, or most of them don't know about it. And that was really interesting in, in one of the studies that I'll talk about in a sec. So the neglected sexual side effects is truly that. It's these neglected things that nobody knows about, but, they, but they're there, they occur. And there's actually a lot of things we can do as you know, whoever's dealing in the prostate cancer patients you know, wherever you are in the multidisciplinary team, there's a lot of things that we can do to minimize the impact of those um, sexual side effects on a patient and how they experience it. So one of the things we looked at is how much do they, <clears throat> do they bother patients? And certain ones have, you know, a much bigger impact on patients than other ones. Um, and I guess our job as healthcare professionals is to help a patient as much as we can to be as functional as they can. And just because the function in this case is sexual function, you know, it's taboo. It's, you know, people, people get uncomfortable talking about sex, unfortunately. So, but at the end of the day, it's, it's really important. And, and Joe, I'm sure you, you can um, back me up on this in clinical practice. This is, it bothers men it just bothers them so much that they've lost that, that ability to, to function from a, from a sexual point of view. So. Absolutely. I'll, I'll let you have a rest there because you've been giving us so much <laughs> um, wonderful wisdom there. So one of the situations was, but I found exactly in my clinical practice that the continent side of it was actually in most cases, relatively easy to sort out with the pelvic floor training and the bladder training and, most guys were doing pretty well by about six weeks post-op. Um, most were pretty right within three or four months. But at this same time, no one was really discussing their sexual dysfunction. And this goes back like 15 years ago now. So it was quite a different landscape. But that once you broach the topic, that guys didn't want to stop asking about it. And I think one of the problems is that we hadn't necessarily had as clinicians, even the correct tools to, to ask, to know what questions to ask. So the neglected sexual side effects were, like you said, common trends that we see in our patients. But if you don't ask the questions, you'll never get to know the, the answers. So what, what we suggested proposing, which we ended up doing, was to see if we could change how we assess patients. So you did a very comprehensive um, Delphi study. And you got a lot of um, experts over there in South Africa to contribute to that to help come up with a questionnaire proposing how we could better assess these patients, even before treating them, just to know what questions to ask. So you just give us a bit more detail about the Delphi study. So the, the, it's, it's exactly what you said. Um, there's some really interesting research on, um, how, you know, what percentage of men feel comfortable talking to their healthcare professional. And there's lots of things that influence that, um, you know, whether the, the healthcare professional is male or female, um, whether their partners are in the room. And, you know, the, the research is saying only about a fifth of men feel comfortable, you, you know, um, discussing their healthcare, uh, sexual healthcare concerns. So 
and like you said, they're all there. So the the, the idea was that if we could give um, men a way of either assessing themselves or being assessed in a non-threatening way, whether it's you know a, a piece of paper um, in the waiting room or or it eventually as an app on their phone or an email or a, a self-assessment tool that they could just get on the web. If, if you can get um, a patient to, to go through that process themselves and basically figure out that this is a real thing, figure out that, you know, okay, it, it, it's on an assessment form or it's on a screening tool. Wow. That this must be real. This must exist. So, um, so the idea was to create something like that to really give men a safe space. And, you know, and one of the funny things in, in, in throughout the PhD is, you know, the, the most important um, aspect of a patient is probably whether or not they have a supportive partner. And even with the supportive partner, they, 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 they are able to fill in these things if, you know, if obviously if they have the consent of the patient. So it's a really the idea was to 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 bridge this gap between how do you get to how do you get the patient to share this information and then what do you do with it so we we didn't just want to do that we didn't just want to see how whether they had the symptom or not and and because there's so many different uh shall i say you know, things in terms of things to consider, you know, whether they had nerve sparing or non-nerve sparing or how long it's been, you know, there were so many things to consider. We wanted to know how much it bugs them, how bothersome it is to them. So the idea was to create a questionnaire and to say, right, you've got it, but how much does it bug you? And if it bugs you a lot, could, you know, could we do something about it? So we did a Delphi study. So we got these experts. We wanted to keep it, um, wanted to do it in a, in a multidisciplinary um, team setting. So we had urologists, oncologists, we had medical sexologists, we had psychosexologists, we had pelvic physiotherapists. And interestingly enough, um, in South Africa, the the um, the the nurses don't play such a big role in prostate cancer care. They they play a little bit of a role in terms of the association with what happens post-op in terms of, you know, catheter care and stuff like that. But it's the, the, the nursing scope of practice is, is not. Okay. In process. Mm. So one of the things I've thought about is, is, wow, we, we haven't, we didn't have any sort of nursing involvement in that, but that was, I'm okay with that because that was very much um, setting and South African, you know, specific. Um, the one uh, the one sexologist um, uh, was from um, the Netherlands because there's there's just so few um, medical sexologists, you know, worldwide. So, who was that? Yeah, um, it's a it's a guy called Wout uh, Dienotten, who's um, he's he's a, a bit of a cult hero. So. Um, but he he's done he's been involved with the World Association Association of Sexual Health and um you know I, I met him through one of my colleagues in South Africa, Dr. Elna Rudolph, who's a medical sexologist, um, who, who also contributed to the study. So 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 what we did is we had all these experts and we had 
we had them basically run through this questionnaire. And what we were looking for is, are we asking the right questions? Are we phrasing it in the right way? And what are we missing? So initially we had um, close-ended questions like, do you have this or not? Um, does it bug you? And then we had some open-ended questions. And, and, and throughout the rounds, we decided to not have the open-ended questions. That was just going to complicate things. And we stuck to the these eight questions around the sexual, uh, neglected sexual side effects, um, whether you have them and how bothersome they are to you. And um, so what we did through the process is we, we basically established content validity and face validity um, through that process. Um, and the great thing is then we had this tool, which we then were able to use in the next part of the, the PhD that I did um, as one of the parts. So it, it was a fascinating experience because we had one of the urologists on, on the um, Delphi, you know, one of the experts, yep, yep, yep. this person, um, they, they denied that Pyrone's disease is a consequence um, post prostate cancer, okay, yep. which was, so, so if you look at my actual results, there's this outlier, which right. is just very irritating, um, yep. you know, but, but, so, so what we did is, you know, and it's all anonymous and things like that. So you you do have an opportunity to give feedback to your, you know, to your panel. So we, you know, I would do like a little bit of a, a debrief and this was raised just to know, you know, he, these are the papers, this is actually, so it was really interesting that even in so-called experts in the field, and, and, you know, we had varied, various different ways of, of establishing whether people were experts in their fields that, you know, based on how long they've been practicing for and, you know, the associations they belong to and this and that. So we had, we, we, you know, we were pretty happy from that point of view. The point that I want to make is that there are even some urologists out there that are not familiar with the side effects or, or the full scope of the side effects. Unfortunately, um, there's, there's also the opposite. There's some urologists that are just amazing and that are just so proactive so um we we truly saw the the full spectrum of course the psychologists they they, they were really after impact how it impacted on people you know how you know what happened to them how bothersome it was to them um so it was a really really interesting mix and yeah after the three rounds we ended up with our um it, it had many names it, initially it was a questionnaire and then it became a screening tool, and I shall now refer to it as a questionnaire-based screening tool. <laughs> and what's the final name of it? It's so long. It's the <laughs> I, I should probably shorten it. It's the neglected sexual side effects after prostate cancer questionnaire-based screening tool. I should find a better way. I should find a something to to shorten it. Something clever. Um, I haven't got there yet, but yeah, and it is available. It it's it's been published and. Um, you know, I probably need to find find some ways to to increase its you know accessibility, whether it becomes a like an application or something like that. So, that that's uh, on the to do list. Fantastic! And when did you get your papers published? So, thanks to COVID, um, a lot of things just you know were just hanging around um, forever. So, some of them were 
you, you know, because the world was obviously standing still, submitted in 20, 2020, uh, my first one, which was a scoping review, and that was published last year. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was around March last year. And then the second one as well, this Delphi study also, I think it was March last year. So um, they just took a bit of time, but yeah, they both, those two have been published. There's um, two other ones that have been submitted for publication, which was um, the after Delphi study, what happened after the Delphi study. And then there's one um, that is being written that will be published um, on some penal rehab strategies. So what, what we eventually did is we um, we used this, uh, the the product of the Delphi study, which was of course the the questionnaire or questionnaire based screening tool, and then we applied it to a population. And yeah, that was the 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 following uh, two papers. Yeah. So the patients that you used the screening tool with were they people from your practice, or how did you find them? Were they like random from prostate cancer register, or where'd they come from? Yeah, correctly. I I I don't know any of them. So um, we had to. So same thing. It was in the middle of COVID, so um, that definitely had an impact. So so we used um, all the shall I say methods and avenues available so we went through the the prostate cancer foundation database and and you know they were they were happy to um send out uh the information to all their members and every, you know all their social medias and everything like that and then the, the the main cancer group cancer um the cancer association of south africa they did the same and then i i uh, was lucky enough um, I belong to this uh, group called My Sexual Health, which is a group of um, sexual health clinicians in various different fields. Um, and they obviously seeing all the patients from, from you know, in terms of all over the country. So they uh, they sent it to, to, you know, to their patient databases and things like that. So um, we did, we did, we recruited for about eight, eight months. Um, but it was it was pretty tough and and you know whether it was COVID or um you know who knows what yeah so the initial idea was to to interview people uh face to face but COVID was really uh interesting in South Africa they they were just these crazy lockdowns I mean we had a very aggressive lockdowns you know even even from you know medical people seeing patients it was all restricted for a number of months and and you know that was exactly where my recruitment was taking place so I, I guess you know thank goodness for technology and the ability you know to to send out information like that and and you know it was interesting because the people who did respond um to to my you know to be part of the study there were you know two or three parts of that and the one part was of course, filling in the questionnaire, which was great. There was a second part that was um, really after their experiences. And those those responses were just amazing in terms of the amount of detail. So so on the one, you know, on the one hand, COVID was bad because we couldn't do face-to-face, um, you know, kind of research, but people were bored, they had time. So they 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 the ones that did respond really gave beautiful information in terms of you know the impact that it that it had on them so 
yeah, we recruited for about eight months. And then um, we closed the study. We we ended up having about 53 men who had, uh, you know, uh, been part of the study, uh, you know, in the end. And and looking back, I I when I designed when we designed the PhD, we we wanted to be like really inclusive. So we wanted you know all eight neglected sexual side effects. We wanted you know a pros, a radical prostatectomy and radiation therapy. And, and maybe it was a little bit too broad. And I probably should have gone you know radical prostatectomy only. Um, and looking back, that that we probably should have done that because the majority of the patients that we ended up having you know you know in part of the, as part of the study ended up being prostatectomy patients anyway so you know it's one of those things where you're like oh you know i should have done that but had good intentions and one well, day well changed a fair bit along the way though didn't it <laughs> it did it did absolutely so you know the rules change so but you also uh, can get subsets of you know the radiation yeah. patients and and potentially they were being treated more that was more common treatment pathway earlier anyway so yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely so it, it it was it was really interesting because you know as I said the majority of my patients were these radiation patients and, and I truly truly thought that the the group of participants would be you know more evenly split but it wasn't the case um anyway we got some really good information from that so yeah, that was that was um, useful, regardless of the the mistakes and things, you know. So that's that's part of doing a PhD, the whole learning process. So, Absolutely. so did you did you achieve what you set out to achieve? Did did you get answers that that guys were being bothered by these symptoms? The what I was surprised about was the the level of um, detail, like like you know so earlier earlier i said these answers are out there and you know men have it but the the amount of detail was just it blew my mind so um you know the prevalence prevalence rates you know that's one thing and the the bothersomeness thing is just amazing because um I, I i truly think um people would be surprised about you know what is more bothersome to men um, and, and it's really interesting because I would have thought personally, as a person who owns a penis myself, <laughs> that the penile curvature would be the most bothersome out of all the, you know, the aesthetic point. The fascinating thing is, certainly from my my patients or my participants, is if they were still able to engage in sexual activity, regardless of the curve, and the amount of curves, you know, if it was more than one, if they were still able to make it work, it was not bothersome at all. Um, the penile shortening was by far the most bothersome one. The other one that was really, um, that I thought would be more bothersome was the um, climacturia. But um, a lot of men just you know, they bridge that with, you know, by using a condom, for instance. So even if they have that little bit of incontinence, that's not a big problem. Um, so so I, I think from a, what I thought would be the biggest thing, you know, that's been really interesting as well. The penile link shortening is, it's probably like my, my favorite 
output from from uh, one of my favorite outputs from the study because when I did my initial um you know literature search and I did my first paper was a scraping review and as part of that Joe, you, you were co-author on that. We we looked at the amount of papers out there on penile link shortening. And we looked at all eight neglected, neglected sexual side effects. And by far, the penile link shortening had the most publications on, on the topic. And one of the things we looked at is, you know, how do people assess these side effects? You know, is it is it a questionnaire? What type of questionnaire? And of course, when it comes to penile link shortening, it's a physical measurement of length. And the, if you were to compare all the studies in the penile link shortening ones, you know the amount of detail that they that these researchers went into to measure penile length, you know it was a closed room with temperature control, so the temperature doesn't influence the length. It was a you know not a metal ruler because a metal ruler is cold. A wooden ruler, you know yep. all, all these things, and. The, my biggest aha moment from from that is that yes, you have penile link shortening. Yes, it's ten to fifteen percent guaranteed. However, after eighteen to twenty four months, if you have taken the appropriate steps, you will regain your full penile length. However, you will still perceive it as to be shortened, short to before. So. You know, and that's one of the, the biggest things. And, and like I said, I wanted to do something that I could relate to clinical practice. And, you know, I still see patients all the time. And, you know, that, that's probably one of the biggest things. You know, you, you're going to have this surgery. You're going to have this. Yes, your penis will become shorter. If you do this, I promise you it'll be the same as before. But you, the, the challenge will be to convince your brain that it's not shorter. I, I find this as well, Pierre. And so... The way I've overcome it now is because I used to find guys would say it's shorter and I thought it was a bit like the fish that got away, you know, it was much bigger before. Um, and so now people, they look at me a bit strangely, but I say at the pre-op appointment or the pre-treatment appointment, I want you to get a tape measure and measure it from here to here and put it on a piece of paper and put it in your bedside table and you'll think it's crazy now, but in a year's time, I'm going to tell you to pull it out and do it again when you tell me it's shorter and you'll find it probably isn't. And honestly, I've been telling people that for a couple of years now, and I feel like the amount of times guys come back and go, yeah, I did, you're right, it's not really, or it might be half a centimetre. It's or, so fascinating, isn't mm. it? And maybe because in the meantime, it doesn't have its full length that maybe your memory is... Uh... Well, I think also we always remember things better than they were often, don't we? You know, like, yeah. Absolutely. And, and you know, so, sorry. And, and that, you know, I think that's one of the things that, you know, I expected that to be that to come up in the research, and you know that that really matched that. Like, you know, people may not bothered bothered by it, you know, um, but it's 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 nice to be able to say to them, you know, make make sure you you measure it, you check it, you take photos and things like that. Because but I think also be there's surprised. enough of things to feel sad about already without feeling sad about something that's just not true. So it's like I feel like it's one of the few things that you can go rule out that is not true so let's not feel sad about that let's feel sad about the stuff that is there yeah absolutely absolutely um and then and then you know going back to some of the some of the other things you know it, it was it was interesting because um you, funny enough some of some of the guys in my studies who had pain with an orgasm that seemed to be not as didn't bother them at all 
you know, that was, that was like, okay, you know, we can do that. It's worth it. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, I mean, these patients are so descriptive, you know, and the guys that do well, they, they, they as descriptive as the guys that don't do well, but, but they seem to give you a little bit more context and, you know, there's so many positive things and, you know, it's the difference between getting a patient in and, and, all they're doing is they looking at things from you know glass half empty point of view and then you get a different patient in and, and they've got the same things but they're just giving you the glass half full uh version which is you know one of the other things it's 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 kind of like you're getting your mind right um is half half the battle anyway because um you know and, and one of the other things that i looked at is the psychosocial impact what happens to these guys from a psychological point of view and they they struggle they really really struggle so and the interesting thing is the literature is saying that the psychosocial impact is due to sexual dysfunction not due to incontinence so if you're looking at the two the the one that has the most impact on their psychological state it's the sexual dysfunction it's not the incontinence and you know it's it's very mainstream you could you could put a pad and some of these guys you know they have a little liner and you can barely see it and they've managed to round that but i I guess the sexual dysfunction thing is is really like the most vulnerable thing that they have you know most vulnerable space that they can be in you know and then there's aspects of masculinity and all of this and um you know who they are to their partners and it's just you know to answer your question did, did did i get the answers that i that i that i wanted um definitely and and layers and layers more that i'm not even sure what to do with you know yeah. but um just i i think one of the big things is um you know men are not okay they're not okay they they far from okay and they seem okay and um you know, patients, they, or, or, you know, these patients, they, they seem okay. And they tell everybody it's okay, but they're not okay. They, um, they struggle for a long, long time. And, and at the end of the day, um, medically, we're not treating them as well as we, we could be. We're not, they're not getting the full, full complement of care that they need, which is, which, which boils down to education. And, and, you know, what, one of the things I wanted from, doing this PhD is I wanted people to understand that they they are thing they are things like the neglected sexual side effects. You know, so for me that was a big tick. Like people now, well, I, I hope a lot of people now do know that there's neglected sexual side effects. And certainly all my patients and all their referrers certainly know about it. And you know, if I teach a course or I give a lecture or I do something, you know, that that's exposure to that. And, you know, for every person that takes that on board, um, you know, down the line, another patient, um, you know, has an easier road to follow. I think that's, that, that was what I wanted. I wanted, I wanted, I wanted patients to have a better outcome. Um, And a better way of being able to discuss it and raise it. Yeah. Do you, yeah. think, do you think there's been any um, colleagues, even in the Delphi study, experts that were surprised by your results or were confronted I, by the questions? I don't. I I think people. Um, 
I think people were quite happy that these things happened in isolation, which is, you know, the way that the, the way that I looked at it, which is fair enough. You know, I looked at them all as being isolated things, but, um, you know, if I, I think if, if I look at the way that I've changed the way that I do a pre-op with, with people now, um, I spend a lot more time on the explaining things to them in terms of sexual function, because that's going to, you know, like I see it, the, the way I see it is, is, is if this is the only opportunity I have to educate someone, you know, so be it. And this, these are the essentials and this, you know, the other things will probably they'll have a better opportunity to, to recover from those, but what is going to bug them the most? And, and, and I think a lot of these people, like I said, they, they, they would see these things as isolated, but not attach the psychosocial impact on it, you know? And if, and if you, so like, so like penile link shortening, for instance, I mean, to me, it's probably, if, if I were to look at my pre-op and the amount of time that I spend on all the different sections, that's by far the, the, the biggest allocation of time, you know, and whether it's, this, this is how pump works or this is how that works, because I know that the other thing, you know, maybe it's not correct, but I know that that's, that is the potential that that side effect has the potential to have the biggest impact on them or negative impact on them. So, you know, I hope that, I hope that other people focus a little bit more on the sexual dysfunction. Everybody is really good at the incontinence, as you said, um, you know, and, and I think, I, I think what's happened with that is patients are at a point where they, Worst case scenario, there, there is some some information out there on incontinence, but there's very little on sexual dysfunction. And interestingly enough, the, the one of the things that I've done now is I, I, I've, and I'm sure others do this as well, but if you want to increase compliance in a patient in, in let's call it, uh, let's say you want to increase compliance in doing pelvic floor exercises, but what motivates this man is sexual function, right? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, so instead of saying, okay, well, we're not going to look at sexual function. We're only going to look at incontinence and you must do this pelvic floor exercises until the cows come home. And then when you're ready, six months later, we'll, we'll look at, you know, sexual function. That's way too late. It's way, way, way too late. So to me, if you can say, right, okay, how about we involve your, your partner and we, you know, do some uh, penal rehabilitation, like, as soon as possible. And you know what, while you're doing that, you're going to do your pelvic floor exercises during the whole session, you know, you increase compliance and yes, there's a bit of incontinence. So what, you know, it's sterile and this and that. And if you can change their mind around that, you, you know, you, because you know, if you change that, they've got a much better opportunity of, of having less bother. Um, so so well, that's what it's done to me in terms of the way I teach, and and that's that's certainly if you know if I teach others on the best bang for buck, so to say, on, on how to get patients, you know, um, motivated and get your pelvic floor work in, your penile rehabilitation stuff in, and through that minimize the psychosocial dysfunction and impact that they will have, you know, to me that's that's job done. Um, you know, it's not as easy as that, but certainly it, yeah, it, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more with you, Pierre. And mm. and um, you know, someone walked in today and said, Hi, 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 Joe, the wee doctor. And I was like, <laughs> you know, um, the the whole 
two for one deal of doing pelvic floor exercises is a really good way, uh, I think, for us to present it. And you, you, as soon as you mentioned that, no matter what the age, there's more attention paid. I just want to um, wrap up a little bit towards the end of our conversation here. Uh, you've now moved to Australia and you do a little bit of teaching. So if there's any physiotherapists um, listening, do you have any courses coming up or is there anything online available? Yeah, so um, so uh, I do. I, so I work at a university now, which which is something I've always wanted to do. And and one of the reasons that I work at this university is they have um, a prostate cancer center uh, run by uh, Professor Jeff Dunn, who's who's um, part of the Prostate Cancer Foundation in Australia, and they're doing a lot of survivorship work. So if there's anybody who would love to do a master's or a research PhD one day in that field, please uh, contact me. And then for everybody who's who's wanting to get into the field, you know, there's so many courses out there. And and I'm a believer of you should do everything out there if you can get a different perspective. So I've got an online recover after prostate cancer course, which is is available. Um, We're doing a, a a face-to-face men's health course in four weeks in in Brisbane, uh, which um, it's interesting because I, I ran a, a similar course last year with uh, a colleague of mine, Dr. Rachel Werman, who's one of uh, Paul Hodges's PhD students doing pelvic uh, pelvic uh, floor a uh, pelvic oh, well, pelvic PhD at UQ, and we tried really hard to get a lot of participants and the, and the, it's a small field. It's people are scared of men pelvises and things like that. So we're running it again. Um, um, actually running it with my wife this time. Who's, who's like my biggest um, teacher. She's a, a brilliant pelvic physio and she treats men and kids and women. And she runs a lot of courses as well. Mandy, so isn't it? Mandy. It's Mandy, magnificent Mandy. So she's just brilliant. So um, the website, yeah. Can you send me the links to your courses so yep. I can put them in the show notes for people? Perfect. I'll I'm happy to do that. So yeah, and so we're doing a lot of education for a lot of people, and this stuff that's online, this stuff that's face to face, and hopefully it's nice and affordable so people can have access to that. And yeah, I, th- I think the more the more people we have on our side doing what we like doing, the better for the patients. So. Yeah, one person at a time, I suppose. Well, that's absolutely wonderful. Now, you had some big news. You've submitted your PhD just one week ago, not even. Yeah, a few, few last week, a few days ago. Yeah, so submitted that. And yeah, after, like you said, a few years of planning and then a few, few years of, you know, just step-by-step working all of those kinks out. And yeah, I'm like, what what next? But um. It's definitely some stuff that I that I'm um, keen on doing next, and definitely some interesting population groups in, in Australia that are neglected as well, which which is probably one of the possible directions I want to go in. So yeah, hopefully hopefully in three months I get a, a good news email and um I've got, you know I have some news to share. So Wonderful. yeah, I'll you, keep you posted. You're in the right place with Professor Jeff Dunn. Thank yep. you so much for being on here it's great and I would definitely put all those links in the show notes so that people can access those courses and are they for patients or for health professionals so these are um for health professionals Mm -hmm. um 
the they, they are uh, patient uh, resources that are in in being processed as um, um, as uh, my next project in terms of recover after prostate cancer. So they will be, but um, at this stage, it's it's just for medical yeah medical professionals. Great, right. okay, thank well, thank you. you so much for all your initiative and all it's your passion pleasure, today. Yeah. It's um wonderful to have you here in Australia. And um, I always tell people to look look to you for the future of men's health. Thank you so much. And yeah, keep keep up the good work. And I'm a big fan. And yeah, thank you for everything that you've done. I um, appreciate that. No worries at all. <laughs>